السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ احمد صلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم وبشرح لي صدری ویسر لي امری واحلل عقدتا من لسانی یفقه قولی ربنا زدنا علما اللهم صلی وسلم على نبينا محمد باب نمبر 58 من الكبائر ان لا يستتر من بوله من الكبائر of the major sins meaning one of the major sins is Allah that not yastatira he conceals himself who a person min bawlihi from his urine meaning it is of the major sins that a person does not protect himself from the splashes of urine when using the toilet If a person does not prevent the splashes of urine from falling onto him, this is not something small. What is it? It's a major sin. Imagine something that seems very small. Right? It's just splashes of urine. How much would it be? Not much. But that is a major sin. So we see that major sin is not just about committing something evil. It's also about neglecting. Neglect. neglect that also becomes a major sin so that means a person has to be very alert and very careful that you have to stay away from certain things and you have to stop yourself from doing certain things now the question is why or how is it a major sin how do we know that this is a major sin when is an action considered a major sin what are the signs there is threat of punishment for it meaning if we learn from the Quran and Sunnah that for a particular action there is punishment in this world, in the grave, in the hereafter, then that action becomes, that action is considered a major sin. So not protecting your body or your clothes from the splashes of urine is a major sin. Why? Because there is punishment for it. What's that punishment? حدثنا عثمان قال حدثنا جرير عن منصور عن مجاهد عن ابن عباس قال ابن عباس رضي الله عنه said مر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم passed by بحائط by a wall of an orchard حائط over here refers to an orchard not a wall but an orchard so he passed by an orchard من حيطان of the orchards of المدينة مدينة أو مكة or مكة meaning he wasn't sure the narrator wasn't sure if it was one of the orchards of مدينة or فَسَمِعَ Then he heard صَوْتَ The sound of إِنْسَانَيْنِ Two people, two individuals يُعَذَّبَانِ Who were being punished فِي قُبُورِهِمَا In their graves فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم He said يُعَذَّبَانِ They too are being punished وَمَا يُعَذَّبَانِ فِي كَبِيرٍ And they're not being punished for something great For something very big For something very major ثُمَّ قَالَ Then he said بَلَا Of course Meaning they are being punished For something severe Major كَانَ He was أَحَدُهُمَا One of them too Meaning one of those two individuals لَا يَسْتَتِرُ He would not protect himself He would not shield himself. Yastatiru is from satr. And what does satr mean? Cover, right? To shield. So he would not shield himself from his urine. وَكَانَ الْآخَرِ And the other person, يَمْشِي He would walk about بِالنَّمِيمَةِ With the backbiting. 
Summa then da'a, he called, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, he asked for, bijaridatin. Jarida is a plain leafless date palm branch, meaning a branch from a date palm which doesn't have any leaves on it, it's plain, it's withered, it's dry. So he asked for a jarida, فَكَسَرَهَا Then he broke it, kisrataini into two broken pieces. فَوَضَعَ Then he placed عَلَى كُلِّ قَبْرٍ مِّنْهُمَا On each of those two graves, مِّنْهُمَا From them two, meaning from those twigs, kisratan, a piece. Meaning he snapped the twig into two pieces and he put one piece each on, on the graves. فَقِيلَ لَهُ Then it was said to him, يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهُ O Messenger of Allah, لِمَا فَعَلْتَ هَذَا Why did you do this? For what reason did you do this? Meaning, why did you place these twigs on the graves? قَالَ He said, لَعَلَّهُ Perhaps it may be it. أَنْ ذَاتْ يُخَفَّفَ It will be reduced. عَنْهُمَا From them too. Meaning, the punishment might be reduced from these two individuals. مَا لَمْ تَيْبَسَ As long as they do not become dry. Meaning as long as these twigs do not become dry, أو إلى أن يبسى, Or that they do not become dry. Taybasa, yaybasa, same thing, the only difference is masculine and feminine. So it is hoped that by the time these twigs will dry, the punishment will be lightened for them. Now there are many things that we learn in this hadith. First of all, if you look at it, the narrator is not sure whether this incident took place in Medina or Mecca. It is from other reports and from the context and also from the fact that it was an orchard, it shows that this incident took place in Medina. Because where were orchards? In Medina, not in Makkah. And also because if there are two people who are being punished in the grave for not shirk, okay, but for a crime such as not preventing oneself from splashes of urine, then it's understood that these two people were who? They were Muslim. So this is the reason why the scholars have said that this incident took place in Medina. And as the Prophet ﷺ passed by the graves, he heard the sound of the people being punished. Imagine how terrifying it would be if we walked out of our houses and we could hear the wailing, the screaming of the dead people being punished. So it's a mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon us that we don't know what's happening in the graves. It's a mercy of Allah on the people who are on the earth and in the earth that we don't hear such sounds. Because if we could hear the sounds people on the earth who are living, then their lives would become miserable. And those in the earth, meaning the dead, the buried, they would be humiliated. Imagine a person is buried and people can hear him being punished. That's humiliation for a person in this world. You know, you pass by a graveyard and you feel so sad in your heart or you feel frightened, you feel scared. Right? It has an effect on you. Al-Huda Islamabad in Pakistan, a mashallah, huge campus, and right across the street is a huge graveyard. Huge graveyard. And every time, you know, you would drive by it, it would shake you. But Allahu A'lam, you never know, we might end up here. All those people are here, we might end up here too. Now, imagine... Just the sight of a grave has such an effect on you. If you could hear the sound of the people being punished constantly, that would make our lives impossible. So it's a huge mercy of Allah. However, sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes people hear that sound. And this 
Hadith tells us of when the Prophet ﷺ was made to hear that sound. Everyone was not made to hear. Only the Prophet ﷺ was made to hear. Why? Why do you think so? Because in it is a lesson for us. In it is a lesson for us. A huge lesson. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, وَمَا يُعَذَّبَانِ فِي كَبِيرٍ That they're not being punished for something major. And then he said, Bala, Meaning it is kabir. So is this contradiction? It's not contradiction. When he said that وَمَا يُعَذَّبَانِ فِي كَبِيرٍ They're not being punished for something kabir. Kabir means shaq, difficult over there. Meaning it, they're not being punished for something that was very difficult for them. With little care, with little attention, they could have easily avoided all of this punishment. It wasn't too hard for them. It wasn't impossible for them. And the second kabir, meaning bala, when he said, of course it is kabir, then it means the crime, the sin is indeed very great. The sin that they committed, yes, it is very great. It is a major sin. What were the sins? For the first person, he would not conceal himself from urine. From the splashes of urine. And he did not take precautions to avoid being contaminated by urine. Why is it a major sin? That if a person does not take care, he lets the splashes of urine fall on his clothes, on his body. Why is it a major sin? What's the big deal? What do you think? What's the big deal? Because if there is najasa, there is filth on the clothes, on the body, then is a person in the state of tahara? No. If he's not in the state of tahara, is his wudu valid? Of course not. His wudu is meaningless if he has impurity on his clothes, on his body. Then if he prays, will that be accepted? No. So you see, it has a very big effect not just on the body, not just on the clothes, on the wudu, on the salah, one salah after the other is being rejected. Why? Because a person is being careless. So it has an endless effect on a person. So this is how it becomes a major sin. His salah is not accepted. And the thing is that, especially these days where in toilets, if a person is not careful about how he's using the toilet, there's splashes of urine everywhere. He's not just affecting himself, he will also be affecting other people. So this is why it is a major sin. It is khiyana with oneself, treachery, betrayal with oneself. That a person is pretending that nothing has happened, there's no impurity, whereas there is impurity. So this is, you know, khiyana with oneself, this is khiyana with Allah. Right? So this is why it's a major sin. So we see that the matter of tahara is a very, very serious, serious matter. It is from where ibadah begins, and if it's not right, then the rest of the ibadah will also not be right. It's the foundation, it's the basis. And it's very, very important for us that we become careful when using the toilet. And we teach children, little children, to be careful as well. Because these habits develop from a very young age. When children are not careful and when they're not taught how to use a washroom properly, then these habits become so firm that even when a person learns, then he cannot be bothered. Right? Because sometimes it happens that children will use a washroom and a little bit of urine may fall on the toilet seat or around the area and they will not take care about it or it falls on the clothes and they don't worry much about it because the mothers don't teach them. So then their clothes are soiled. Other people who use a washroom, their bodies, their clothes get soiled. So you see, it has a huge effect. And then a person develops this careless attitude, that impatience, 
First of all, they don't want to use the toilet. Right? So they keep delaying, delaying, delaying until a drop or two, they end up in their clothes. And when they do go to the washroom, then what happens? They're too impatient. They want to get off the toilet seat quickly. They don't care about what's happening, what's not happening. And as a result, the whole place gets contaminated. So it's very important that children are taught from a very young age. You know, a friend of mine recently, I was just discussing with her that how do you train a child to you know, go to the washroom when they have to and not delay until the last moment? Because little children tend to do that. They're so distracted in play and whatever they're doing, they don't want to use the washroom. So they keep delaying until, uh, you know, sometimes it's too late. So she was saying that what helped her was when she told her son this hadith. He was small, he wasn't that old, but she told him the gist of the hadith, that you know, if we don't keep our clothes clean, our bodies clean, then snakes can bite us, and we can be bitten when we die. So that really scared the child, and from that point onwards, alhamdulillah, he was fine. So whatever you know, the child can understand, tell him or her, so that they develop this fear. Because without it, children can be very, very careless. The second crime that we learn over here, the second individual, is the namima, the backbiting. That the other person, he used to yamshi bin namima. He used to walk about with namima. What is namima? I translate it as, as backbiting. What you know backbiting as? Ghiba. Namima is a kind of ghiba. It's slightly different. How? That the intention behind it is different. Ghiba, backbiting, a person could be doing just to, you know, vent, just to get that frustration out, right? That so-and-so said this to me, and this is how they were dressed, and this is what they were doing, and you just don't like that person, so you're talking negative things about them, okay? Just to get your frustration out, or to prove them wrong, for instance. But namima, the reason behind that is to spread fasad between people. That a person tells negative things about someone. Why? So that other people develop negative feelings against him. And then this will lead to argument and fighting and you know ill feelings amongst people and endless fasad. This is what namima is. So for example, when children come and they tell their parents, you know, so and so did this and so and so said that. Why? So that the mother becomes angry at the other sibling. Right? Or for example... The wife, she goes and tells the husband about what his mother said or what uh, what she did or what she did not do. Why? So the husband develops ill feelings against the mother. Or the mother goes and tells something negative about the wife. Right? Or co-workers that go to the boss and tell them about what so-and-so did. And it may be true, but why are you telling them? Why? So that there are ill feelings, there's facade, there's fighting, there's argument. So this is what Namima is. And look at the word Yamshi. What does that mean? He used to walk about, meaning sa'in, you know, putting habit and also going about, not staying put in one place, but as soon as he, as he feels that, oh, I can tell them about this. I can tell so and so that so and so said this and she did that. Not being content, but rather constantly moving about, spreading ill feelings amongst people, creating fasad amongst people, amongst the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is also a major sin. So two major sins we learn from this hadith. One is not protecting yourself from urine and the other is namima, backbiting. Then we see that the Prophet ﷺ, he put two twigs on the graves. Why did he put the twigs? 
What's the answer that he gave? That perhaps the punishment might be reduced for them until these twigs dry up. So basically this was in a way a temporary intercession for those two individuals. A temporary intercession that because of his dua or because of his shafa, perhaps the punishment will be reduced for some time. Okay? Because of his dua, because of his concern for them, perhaps. Not for sure, but perhaps. So he intended to show the people the time for which the punishment would be reduced for them. Not ended, but reduced. So the twigs themselves could not cause the punishment to be reduced. Okay? But what is it that caused the punishment to be reduced? His intercession or his dua, his concern. And how much was that time? How much would that time be? Until the twigs dry up, how long? You bring some flowers home, they're fresh, you put them in water, you put food, you keep adding water, and they stay alive for maybe 10 days? Maybe? And if you don't put any water, then what's going to happen? They will dry up within a day or two. So basically, to show that the punishment was going to be reduced for a very, very little time. So in a way, it was an illustration of how there is no respite, no break, no end to the punishment of the grave. No end to the punishment of the grave. It might be reduced for some time, might be, but not forever. And this is something very scary. Just imagine that a person is not careful when using the toilet. And as a result, he is forever punished in the grave. To the point that he's screaming and wailing. When do you scream and wail? When you have a slight headache? Many women, even when they're in childbirth, they're not screaming because they're very patient. Right? Sometimes people have that endurance, that strength. But imagine the severity of that punishment that people are screaming and wailing. Why? Because they did not protect themselves from the splashes of urine. So it's a very, very serious matter that we need to be very careful about. And we become lazy sometimes. You know, not sitting on the toilet properly, not removing our clothes properly, not washing ourselves properly, not wiping ourselves properly. And what do you have to do? Is it a lot of work? It's not much. You just have to adjust yourself physically a little bit. You just have to perhaps wash your hands more thoroughly afterwards because you cleaned yourself properly. It's just a little bit of work. But shaitan makes us lazy over there even. But this has severe consequences in the hereafter. Then another reason the scholars have given as to why the Prophet ﷺ put the twigs over there was that when a plant is fresh, green, that means it's still alive. And when it's fresh, it's alive, it's green, it will do tasbih. It will praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When it dries up, it means it has become dead, it will no longer do tasbih. So as long as there is tasbih by the grave, the punishment will be reduced. But when that tasbih ends, then the punishment will resume. But is this right? You don't think so. Why? No, no, I'm talking about the twigs. As long as a twig is fresh, it will do tasbih. So as a result of that tasbih, the punishment is reduced. But when that twig dries up, it is dead. It will not do tasbih. So as a result, the punishment will resume. But why is this not right? Exactly. Right? Whether it is something ratb or yabis, whether it is something fresh or dry, it does tasbih. It was not the twigs 
or the tasbih of the twigs that caused the punishment to be reduced? No. The Prophet ﷺ put the twigs just to show the time for which the punishment will be reduced. And that time was very little. Okay? And he wasn't sure. He said, لَعَلَّهُ Perhaps, maybe. That based on this hadith, some people, what they do is, that they say, that sit by the grave and do tasbih. Sit by the grave and do tasbih constantly, day and night. Why? So that the one in the grave, he will not be punished then. This is one thing that they do. But is this correct? No. Because people, you know, more than us, the rocks do tasbih. More than us, the mud does tasbih. Right? More than us, other creatures do tasbih. So our sitting there doing tasbih day in and day out, there are certain shrines, certain graves, on which people are constantly sitting doing tasbih or doing dhikr or something or the other. Why? So the punishment, there is no punishment for the one in the grave. But the fact is that whether we do tasbih or not, tasbih is still being done. So our making tasbih over there by the grave does not make any difference. So it is not correct. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ did not do this. Whatever the person did, he has taken that with himself. Your tasbih, how can that benefit him? Laha ma kasabat. You know, for him is what he has earned. For you, walakum ma kasabtum. For you is what you have earned. So your making tasbih cannot benefit them. But that's your asking Allah to reduce the punishment for them. Like when a person dies, you make the dua for them. You are asking Allah to reduce the punishment. You're not putting the twig or the plants or the flowers over there, doing the spear over there, so that as a result of that the spear or those flowers, the person won't be punished. No. The punishment comes from who? Allah. Who can take it away? Allah. So we have to ask Him to lift the punishment, to reduce it. See again, you are reading. How can that benefit the person? Of course. Now, what you can do is recite some Quran, pray nafil, you know, do tawaf, go for umrah, and after performing that good deed, you make dua for the dead person. Then may Allah forgive him, raise his darajat. Why? Because you are seeking wasila through the good deeds. Okay? Because when a person does a good deed, and then he makes dua after that, then the chances of that dua being accepted are very high. Because إِلَيْهِ يَسْعَدُ الْكَلِيمُ الطَّيِّبُ وَالْعَمَلُ الصَّالِحُ يَرْفَعُ Good deeds lift up the good dua, the kalim tayyib, the good words to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you can do, you can perform a good deed and then after that make dua. Why? Because the chances of acceptance are higher. Not that that good deed can be transferred to his record. Now, based on this hadith, some people say that it's good to place plants on the grave, flowers and whatever on the graves. But this is not correct either. Why? Why is it not correct? So the first thing is that when people place flowers, and I'm talking about Muslims, okay, when they do that, when they place flowers on the graves, this is based on the assumption that the person in the grave is being punished. Do you understand? Put the flowers so that he's not punished. Because if you don't put the flowers, then he will be punished. Do you see what I mean? It's based on su'uzan with the person who is in the grave. Is that right? It's not right. Who are we to judge? Who are we to say anything about a person who has died? That he is being punished or he is being rewarded? Allahu alam. This is of the matters of the unseen. And we are no ones to pass judgment on that. So first of all, have you know positive 
thoughts, positive feelings, good thoughts about the person who has died, that inshallah may Allah forgive him, make dua for him, give some sadaqah on, you know, on his behalf, whatever, the masnoon ways, do that. But if you think about it, this is based on an evil assumption about a Muslim brother or sister. So this is why it's not correct. Secondly, when the Prophet ﷺ placed the twig, what did he say? لَعَلَّهُ Perhaps it. Which means that he was not sure, it was not definite that the punishment would be reduced. But people place flowers on the graves thinking that the punishment is definitely reduced. Allahu A'lam. Okay, whether your dua is even going to have an effect. Allahu A'lam. People pray janazah, they make dua. But Allah knows the final decision is with Him. So it's not definite. So this is why it's not correct to derive this ruling from the hadith that you should place flowers on the grave. Thirdly, we see that this was an isolated incident. Meaning, this is the only incident where we find the Prophet ﷺ placed twigs on grave. We don't find that he did this in any other narration. He did not do it. The companions after him, they did not do it. And if it was necessary to do this, then there would have been certainly more reports. But there are none. So this shows that this was an isolated incident. And when the Prophet ﷺ placed the twigs, why did he do that? When he heard the people being punished. Can we hear the people being punished? No, we cannot. Fourthly, this is not right. Why? Because Allah has taught us something better. For a dead person, a person who has been buried, what are we supposed to do? Make dua for him. Right? People know what kind of flowers to get and where to put them and how to arrange them. But do they know the dua for seeking forgiveness for the deceased? No. Many of them are not even aware that such a dua exists. So again, bid'ah replaces sunnah. It takes the place of sunnah when sunnah is ignored. So Allah has taught us something that is far better. And if you look at the meaning of that dua, it's amazing. The wording of that dua, that oh Allah, wash him, you know, clean him from sins. Make his entry into the grave good. Right? So that dua is far better. And what Allah has given to us is something that is much better. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he would bury someone, he would stand over the grave and he would say the prayer for forgiveness for your brother and ask that he be made steadfast. For even now, he is being questioned. So this is what the Prophet ﷺ taught us to do, to make dua for the person who has been married, not to place flowers on the grave. Because sadaqatun jariyatun. Like you feed someone or you do umrah and then you say that, Oh Allah, Please give the reward to so and so person. Okay? There are certain actions, certain actions which we learned are approved, but this does not mean that we start doing everything. We even start praying salah and we even start reading Quran and all of that. A mark can be placed, but it should not be built like. Okay, so as an identification of the grave. So that is sufficient as a mark. It's best that like a, a rock or a mound of mud or something like that is done. But you said that there is a number or something. I'll find out inshallah if it's okay to put the flowers with a different intention as an identification of the grave. Inshallah I'll find out about that. Bab ma fi ghasl al On what has come, meaning what has been taught concerning ghasl al washing off the urine. Now, the first thing is that a person should 
be so careful that no splashes, sprinkles of urine fall on him or his clothes. But if they do, then in that case, what should a person do? Wash. Likewise, after using the washroom, then a person should wash off the urine. So basically, no traces of urine should be on the body. وَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ And the Prophet ﷺ said, لِصَاحِبِ الْقَبْرِ Lam over here means about, not for, but about. He said about the person of the grave, meaning the one who was in the grave, as the one mentioned in the previous hadith, that كَانَ لَا يَسْتَتِرُ مِن بَوْلِهِ That he would not conceal himself from his urine, meaning he would not protect himself from the splashes of his urine. وَلَمْ يَذْكُرْ And he did not mention siwa except nasi the urine of people. Meaning the Prophet ﷺ was referring to the urine of people over there. Why is this being mentioned over here? Imam Bukhari is intending to refute the claim of those who say that every type of urine is najis. You might say, yes, urine is urine, it is najis. No, we're talking about people, animals, birds. Imam Bukhari, he was of the opinion, and that's the opinion of the majority of the scholars, or you can say the more sound opinion, that the urine and dung of animals that are ma'kul, meaning animals that are eaten, whose meat is eaten, their urine and dung is clean, tahir. So let's say a person, he has cows. Okay, Now he goes to milk the cows or whatever, and you have to sit on the ground, and let's say it rained, and there is a puddle on the ground, it's wet. Now that's mixed probably with the urine of the cow. And let's say some water does come onto his clothes. His clothes or his feet or his shoes, they get soiled. Or he may be milking or something and a cow that's standing next to him, you know, he urinates or something and the splashes come onto his body. I mean, obviously, animals cannot, such animals cannot be toilet trained, right? So in that case, what can such a person do? And you might think, yeah, of course, go wash yourself, change yourself. But when you have such animals living in your house, when you are riding on its back, when you are, when your luggage is on the animal, constantly those animals are with you, then definitely the splashes will come onto your body or your clothes. You can never, ever be a hundred percent sure that your body and clothes are completely clean. Never. You know, mothers who have little children, they can understand this very easily. That sometimes you hold the child and all of a sudden you feel, oh my God, the child has leaked or something. And you keep changing yourself or you keep changing. I mean, And that's only for a period of two years or so. And it's so difficult. Now imagine if your life is with these animals, then definitely your body, your clothes are going to get soiled. So there are many ahadiths, which inshallah we will learn about later, which prove that the urine and dung of the animals whose meat is eaten, that is tahir, the Prophet ﷺ told the people who came to Medina and became sick to go to the desert and drink the milk and the urine of the camels as a cure. Okay, as a cure, as a treatment. So they did. And if it was not Tahir, obviously he would never tell them to drink it. You might say, what? But it's true. Inshallah, we will learn that hadith. So another version of the hadith that we learned previously about the grave, it says minal bowl, meaning he would not prevent himself from bowl, from the urine. So from that, some scholars derived every type of urine, whether animal or human, is najis. That's what some scholars said. But Imam Bukhari is refuting them over here. 
That another version of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said, وَلَمْ يَذْكُرْ سِوَى بَوْلِ النَّاسِ مِنْ بَوْلِهِ بَوْلِهِ means his own urine. So the urine that has to be avoided is the urine of humans. Or the urine of animals who are غير مأكول, meaning whose meat is not eaten. And we see that not just the urine of such animals is difficult to avoid, but even the dung. It's a major part of their lives, meaning it serves as fuel, even as you can say construction material, has fertilizer. So you're constantly working with it. It is going to be on you, on your clothes. So this is why it is Tahir. حدثنا يعقوب بن إبراهيم قال حدثنا إسماعيل بن إبراهيم قال حدثني روح بن القاسم قال حدثني عطاء بن أبي ميمونة عن أنس بن مالك قال هيسد كان نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا تبرز لحاجته أتيته that when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم تبرز he would go for لحاجته to answer the call of nature meaning to use the toilet أتيته I would bring him بماء water then he would wash himself with it. Whenever the Prophet ﷺ would use the washroom, I would bring him water and he would wash himself. So what does it mean? That after using the toilet, urine, you have to wash yourself. Now, other reports tell us that the Prophet ﷺ sometimes used rocks as well, right? To clean himself. So then I mentioned to you the three permissible ways of cleaning oneself after using the washroom. And what are they? One is istijmar. The other is istinja, and the other is combination of istijmal and istinja. So all these three ways are valid. And definitely the use of water is better. And this hadith shows that the Prophet ﷺ would mostly wash himself. So this means that whenever we do have access to water, then what should we do? Wash ourselves. And we should wipe ourselves when? When we don't have access to water. When it's not possible to wash yourself. So in that case, it's okay to do that. And if the urine does splash on the on the body, then what can you do? Wash. But if it splashes on the clothes, then let them air dry. No, you have to wash them too. Okay, You have to wash that area too. Because no traces should remain on the body or the clothes. باب حدثنا محمد بن المثنى قال حدثنا محمد بن خازم قال حدثنا الأعمش عن مجاهد عن طاووس عن ابن عباس قال he said مر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم passed by بقبريني by two graves فقال then he said إنهما ليعذبان indeed they two are being punished وما يعذبان في كبير they're not being punished for something major أما أحدهما فكان لا يستتر من البول so this version of the hadith says, minal bawl. The previous version said, min bawlihi. وَأَمَّا الْآخَرُ فَكَانَ يَمْشِي بِالنَّمِيمَةِ ثُمَّ أَخَذَ جَرِيدَةً رَطْبَةً رَطْبَةً as in fresh. فَشَقَّهَا Then he broke it, نِصْفَيْنِ into two pieces. فَغَرَزَ غَرَزَ is to insert, to stick, to implant. So he put غَرَزَ فِي كُلِّ قَبْرٍ وَاحِدَةً In every grave, one. Meaning one twig. قالوا يا رسول الله دسد او مسنجر والله لما فعلت هذا قال لعله يخفف عنهما ما لم ييبسا قال ابن المثنى وحدثنا وكيع قال حدثنا الاعمش قال سمعت مجاهدا مثله يستتر من بولي slightly different version of the hadith so this is the same hadith but with different wording and imam bukhari is trying to prove over here that al bawl does not refer to 
any urine, but in particular, whether it is yours or your child's, okay, in either case, you have to clean yourself. That a person is la yukallifullahu nafsan illa usra, and a person is only held responsible for what he knowingly does, for what he has control over and what he is aware of. So for that, you have to be careful from before that no sprinkles do come onto you. No splashes come onto you. But if they do and you are not aware, then that is something different. Right? رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَخِذْنَا إِنَّ نَسِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا It's a khata. It's a mistake on your part. Right? So you don't know that's different. But you should know. So you should be aware. And one of the things that the sister mentioned was that you have to, when after using the toilet, when you're flushing the toilet, please put the lid on because you never know some splashes may come onto you at that time. Or they might come onto the toilet seat. Over here, washing with water is mentioned, right? So that is sufficient. You don't have to have soap. You don't have to soak the whole thing in soap for a long time. No, you don't have to. You just have to get that urine out by washing. And if you wash immediately, it should be easier. باب ترك النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم والناس الأعرابية ترك النبي تركي leaving leaving of who of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم meaning when he left والناس and the people meaning the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and the people they both left who الأعرابية the Bedouin person حتى فرغ until he finished Meaning he was done mimbaulihi from his urine fil masjid in the masjid. Meaning the hadith about the Bedouin who was urinating in the masjid and the Prophet ﷺ and the people left him to do that. Meaning they did not stop him while he was urinating. Because if they did, he would run. And the urine would splash everywhere. So what does this teach us? That while urinating, one should make sure that the urine is contained in one place and it's not spreading everywhere. He was doing something very wrong. He was urinating in the masjid, but still they did not stop him. Why? Because if they stopped him, he would get up or he would turn around or something and the urine would spread. So part of protecting yourself from the urine is what? That the method used, the way used to urinate should also be such that it doesn't splash everywhere. So the toilet, the manner in which a person sits on the toilet, everything should be such that, you know, you protect yourself as much as possible. You know, the floor toilets, many people don't know how to use them properly. And if you don't know how to use them properly, never use them. Because otherwise, you'll be covered in urine. People who know how to use it properly, they come out clean and fine, they know how to use it. And those who don't know, don't know. So don't even give it a try. Okay? It's too late for you. Perhaps. So, make sure basically that the urine is contained in one place. It does not go everywhere. حدثنا موسى بن إسماعيل قال حدثنا همام أخبرنا إسحاق عن أنس بن مالك أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم رأى عربيا. He saw a Bedouin man. يبول he was urinating في المسجد in the masjid. فقال so the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said دعوه leave him meaning let him urinate حتى until إذا فرغ when he was done, when he finished, da'a, he called for, meaning he asked for, bima'in with some water, فصبه, then he poured it alayhi upon it. Meaning on the urine, the Prophet ﷺ poured some water in order to wash that area clean. Now it was of the habits of the Bedouins that whenever they needed to urinate, they would just do it 
right there, wherever they were. It didn't matter if it was somebody's house, if it was the masjid, it was on somebody's private property, they would do it. And in many places today, people are found urinating on the side of the road, right by a wall, outside a, a shop. You wonder what's happening here, but it's perfectly fine for them. You can't even imagine something like that happening here. So similarly, just imagine Bedouins, they would come and whenever they had to, they just go on the side and urinate. So that Bedouin was ignorant of the practice of the city, that how, where do you urinate? You don't just urinate everywhere. You know, you go somewhere far away. And especially in the masjid, you don't urinate. So the, that Bedouin was unaware. So the Prophet wasallam said, leave him. When he was done, then they just poured water on top. Now, the question is, why did the Prophet ﷺ not stop him immediately? Because like I mentioned earlier, the urine would spread everywhere. When he was urinating in one place, the urine was contained in one corner. But if he was disturbed, then perhaps it would fall on the wall or on more area. A person could get splashed, right? So, you know, sometimes when children are being toilet trained and all of a sudden if you stop them or you frighten them, then they walk or they run, can do a lot of damage. So let them do their business wherever they're doing it. So even though the masjid is not the place of urinating, I mean, there was something wrong, but still, he let that man urinate because the problem would increase. Then we see that when the Prophet ﷺ poured water himself, that set as an example. Itfar billati ahsan, repel uh, evil with that which is better. And Scaring a person while he's urinating, disturbing them, frightening them is not something that is healthy at all. Right? It, it can really affect a person physically, psychologically. It can have a, a, a big effect. Uh, once my son, he was very small and he, he basically leaked out of his diaper and it was a big leak. Something I had never seen before. And when I saw him, I just freaked out because he was standing on the carpet and, uh, you know, when you have your first child and Especially when it comes to diaper issues, you become very, you don't want to clean diapers and you know, it's not that, it's not a good experience. Anyway, I got terrified and he was walking at that time. So I was like, if he starts walking, it's going to spread everywhere and how is it going to become clean? And you know, especially when you know about Najasa and Tahara and you know, you freak out more basically. So Alhamdulillah, my mother-in-law was there and she was like, calm down, you'll scare him. And I remember her words that you'll scare him. That if you react like this, you'll frighten the child. That he'll think that I did something wrong. And a child should never develop fear of washroom. Because then what will happen? Toilet training will be so difficult. You know, he will not want to use the washroom. Isn't it? He will not tell you. It can have a big effect on him. So Prophet ﷺ did not disturb him. And he did not let the people disturb that man either. If a person is in urinating, then how can you stop him in the middle? You can't. And this teaches a very, very important life lesson that when someone is doing something wrong, don't, you know, in Urdu they say, toko them, like don't jump on them, don't like stop them or criticize them at the spot. Why? Because they're in the middle of doing whatever they're doing. You can frighten them, but can you undo the damage? No. You're screaming and yelling and freaking out. Can that make the carpet clean? No. Can it remove the urine? No. It can't. So don't frighten the person at least. It's a very, very important lesson that we all need to learn and apply in everything that we do. We start panicking too quickly, unfortunately. 
صبي pouring الماء water على البولي on the urine في المسجد in the masjid meaning if there is urine somewhere then what should be done just pour water on top to wash away that urine and that is sufficient حدثنا أبو اليماني قال أخبرنا شعيب عن الزهري قال أخبرني عبيد الله بن عبد الله بن عتبة ابن مسعود أن أبا هريرة قال هساد قام أعرابي A Bedouin man stood up فبالا and then he urinated في المسجد in the masjid فتناوله الناس تناوله You know what that word means? To eat So people ran to grab him to beat him up Right? To catch him, to stop him. فَتَنَاوَلَهُ النَّاسِ فَقَالَ لَهُمُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ So the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said to them, دَعُوهُ Leave him. Let him be. وَهَرِيقُ And pour عَلَى بَوْلِهِ On his urine سَجْلًا Tumbler مِمَّاءٍ Of water أو Or ذَنُوبًا مِمَّاءٍ ذَنُوب is also a tumbler, a bucket, a pail of water. So just pour a pail of water on top. فَإِنَّمَا Because indeed not but بُعِثْتُمْ مُيَسِّرِينَ You have been sent as those who make ease. وَلَمْ تُبْعَثُوا مُعَسِّرِينَ And you have not been sent as those who make difficulty for the people. Look at this beautiful advice. He advised the people to leave him and reminded them that you are to create ease and not difficulty for the people. So be easy on him. How? By letting him do what he is doing and by teaching him in the right way. Don't be difficult on him by yelling at him, by reprimanding him, by frightening him, by chasing him away from the masjid, by beating him up. You're creating difficulty for him in that way. And this happens. That when we yell at people or stop them in the middle of what they're doing, they develop fear. And it's so difficult for them to do that action. Like for example, let's say you know there's a particular kind of food that you make. Let's say you were cooking that food once, you were preparing it once, and somebody told you, no, you shouldn't do it this way, you should that way. And every time you're preparing that food, you remember that, and you have this fear. What if I mess up? What if I mess up? What if I make a mistake? What if it's not perfect? And because of this fear, what happens? What you're doing becomes so difficult for you. You don't get over it for so many years. Many times people... You know, they develop psychological issues because of this. So don't create difficulty, but rather create ease, facilitate. You know, like if a child is doing something wrong, what is that? We yell at him and stop him. No, stop it. Don't do that. No, 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 no. All day. And the other is that you get down to the child's level and you say, okay, what are you doing? What's this in your hand? Do you think we should play with this? Maybe this is dangerous. Let's play with this instead. Let's do this instead. Create ease. Transition easily. Instead of frightening the person and making things difficult for them. So it's a very, very important life skill that we must develop. Because this will help us in dealing with people everywhere. And it happens sometimes that when we make things difficult for people, when we yell at them, then do they listen? No, they get more offended. They get more upset. Because it's not logical for them, right? So you have to get down to their level, explain to them, create ease for them. حدثنا عبدان قال أخبرنا عبد الله قال أخبرنا يحيى بن سعيد قال سمعت أنس بن مالك عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم meaning this is also related from Anas ibn Malik the same hadith is also narrated from him the next one is the same hadith as well باب يهريق الماء على البول يهريق what الماء meaning the water should be poured على البول on the urine 
Meaning if there's urine somewhere, simply pour water on top. حدثنا خالد قال حدثنا سليمان عن يحيى بن سعيد قال سمعت أنس بن مالك قال جاء عربي he said that a Bedouin man came فبال في طائفة المسجد and then he urinated in a طائفة of the masjid what does it mean by طائفة? like a corner what does طائفة mean? a group right? so over here it means like a corner yeah, a corner of the masjid فزجره الناس so the people yelled at him meaning they went to grab him and yell at him فَنَهَاهُمُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ So the Prophet ﷺ stopped them. They don't yell at him. Leave him. Let him do what he is doing. فَلَمَّا قَضَى بَوْلَهُ Then when he was done with his urine, أَمَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ Prophet ﷺ commanded بِذَنُوبٍ With a pail, مِمَّاءٍ of water, فَأُهْرِيقَ عَلَيْهِ Then it was poured on top. Now we see that many abwab are mentioned over here. And what's the... Supporting evidence, one hadith, but just different versions. And we learn many things from this hadith. Of the things that we learn is that if there is urine somewhere, then just simply pour water on top. Secondly, that we learn that the urine should be contained in one place. That a person should not urinate in a way that the urine spreads everywhere. Other lessons that we learn is that if there is a person who is ignorant of something, okay, then what should we do? Excuse his ignorance. He doesn't know any better. Like sometimes it happens that a person is doing something wrong. Why? Because they don't know. They're doing something wrong simply because they are unaware. They don't know. And we start reprimanding them, yelling at them, becoming upset and angry with them. But they don't know. You're getting angry is not going to help them, is it? Like sometimes it happens that in the masjid, let's say it's nobody should be in the masjid. There should be no, you know, it should be empty at a certain time. And a person is sitting there. Should we yell at them? No. Somebody comes to class and they're talking. Should we yell at them? No. Because they don't know the rules. We know the rules, but they don't know. One is that a person knows, then yes, they need to be reprimanded. But the other is that they don't know. So we should excuse the ignorance of the ignorant. Inshallah, we'll come to that. Right now, this is just the soil, like soil, ground floor, or you know, hard floor, concrete or something like that on which water can be poured and the urine can be washed off. Another very important lesson that we learn from these hadiths is that we should always go for the lesser of the two evils. That urinating in the masjid, is it evil? Is it bad? Yes. But causing that man to be frightened and his urine being spread everywhere, is that more evil? Yes. It's more evil. Right. So choose the lesser of the two evils. Think about what will cause less damage. Another important lesson we learn is that when something can be done in a gentle manner, in a better manner, then what should we do? Do it in that manner. Not harshly, but in a gentle way. One more important lesson is that soil does not become clean, or rather something filthy does not become clean by just air drying or from the heat of the sun. So for example, if your baby soiled her diaper shirt, so you say, okay, just let it air dry. There's pee on it. Are you just going to let it air dry and you think it's clean? No, it's not. it doesn't become clean. It has to be washed. Because if you just wait for the urine to evaporate, then the Prophet ﷺ would not have had the water poured on top. So likewise, if a child peed on the carpet or on the bed, then once it has become dry, don't think it is clean. It's not clean. It is still dirty. How to clean it? I'll tell you afterwards. Okay? Then we also learned that the place of salah has to be clean. Has to be clean. 
Meaning, when a person is praying, then that area should be clean. So for example, let's say in your bedroom, once upon a time your child peed in the corner okay, or in the middle. And you say, okay, I will avoid this middle area and I will pray on the side. Can you do that? No. Because the Prophet ﷺ could have said, okay, the man peed on the side, so let that pee be there. Don't wash it. We're going to pray in the front, in the middle. The person urinated in the corner. Do you understand? But still, that corner was made clean. Why? Because the entire area that is dedicated for praying, or the area in which you are praying, should be clean. So you can't be praying next to a dirty diaper. Do you see what I mean? What do we do? Just put a prayer mat on top and pray on that. Is a prayer mat basnoon? Is it? First of all, this is not what the Prophet ﷺ did. The earth itself, we can pray on. The carpet, the floor, the wood, we can pray on that. If it's easier for you to pray on the prayer mat, that's different. Okay? So, the you can't do this if the carpet is soiled and on top you put a prayer mat and you start praying on that. No. The area has to be clean. Now you might say, okay, but how how big of an area? Now, like for example, in the bedroom, that carpet should be clean. You Or let's say the, the wood floor should be clean. The whole area should be clean. When you don't know, that's different. But if you know for sure, then don't. And then we also learn that it is necessary that the ignorant person should be educated in the manner that is appropriate for them. The Prophet ﷺ in other hadith, what do we learn? That he just called the person and he told him, these masajid are not made for urinating. They are built for praying, for qiraat al-Qur'an, for the remembrance of Allah. So he taught him in the manner that he would actually learn. So always look at the person you're teaching. Don't look at yourself. And the fear that you have or the you know difficulty that you're going to suffer now. No, don't think about yourself. Think about the person. This is well-wishing. That you have to teach them, educate them, train them. You're still going to have to clean. Okay, so your yelling will not help. So be concerned about the other. Now how to clean the carpet, the bed, if there is urine on it? One of the things that you can do is, first of all, soak up as much as possible immediately. Okay? Soak up as much as possible immediately. Then you have to pour some water on top. Because you see, you have to wash it off. Okay? Pour some water on top. And then soak, soak up all that water again. Pour some more water on top again and then soak it up again. And then do this until you know this is clean. Like you can't smell it, you cannot see it. Okay, until you're sure that the traces are gone. Okay, and this question I've asked a number of scholars. And this is what I have learned. And uh, if you have stains from before, now they're dry. Now what do you do in those areas? You can pour some water on top and soak it up. And these days, alhamdulillah, you get those... Um, Carpet cleaner, you know, you can wash the carpets, right? So do that once, and from then on, be careful. I should end here. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubilaik. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.